everyone to the Tales Never Fails podcast. I am your host, I am producer at Brents 5 Join me through the airwaves on this week three preview is the one and only Parker Hurley. Parks, you ready to get in the week three? I'm ready, man. I'm loving it. It is a beautiful day in Pittsburgh. I love when it's still warm out in September. Just keep this warm weather coming and I'll, we'll keep some good picks coming. So that's that's what I'm saying. Hell yeah, dude. But the bad thing about that is I, this guy I follow on uh, Twitter for baseball weather, he said there's a giant cold front coming in. So he said like late September, dude, football weather will be kicking in. So there's some good news with some bad news, but we also love football weather. We do, yeah. We'll hang on to these last couple nice little days. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you want to get into week three action here? Let's do it. All right, first game we got Andy Luck rolling in the Philly, and this is uh, Carson Wentz. He's going to get his first start of the season after coming off that uh, vicious knee injury. Um, right now the line is at minus six and a half Eagles, and the over-under is at 47 and a half. Parks, what are your thoughts here? Carson Wentz getting the first start. Um, Alshon Jeffrey probably isn't going to play, maybe even Ajayi. What are we looking at here? Yeah, and I think the Carson Wentz first start is overlying a really interesting subplot where you got uh, the Colts head coach, Frank Reich, was the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles when they won the Super Bowl last year. So you got some decent familiarity there. And I kind of talked about on some other podcasts how I don't like play the revenge factor or anything like that because Peterson wants to beat Reich as much as he wants to beat Peterson. But I'm kind of thinking Reich might have an advantage here. In the idea that um, Peterson still called the plays, this was still his offense. You know, he was one of those offensive head coaches. Reich was kind of in that idea. He was an offensive coordinator, but he was still an assistant in terms of play calling. So um, I think Reich knows everything Peterson has, but Peterson or, or Reich kind of has some things that Peterson may not know about. So I'm interested to see if he can maybe throw him some curveballs. And the big thing is, you know, Reich not only knows, you know, what uh, what the Eagles can do, he knows exactly what Carson Wentz can do. He's, you know, literally, from, you know, he was in the meeting rooms when they were drafting him. So um, he knows all about Carson Wentz. And it's you said Carson Wentz's first game back. So you're questioning a lot of things about him. I'm following, I would just recommend him, Dr. Chow, I believe his name is, yeah, on Twitter. Well, Pro Football Doc, he is the best at this. The best. And Absolutely. yeah, I... I read him. I listen to every segment he does because nobody. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a doctor, but he's so good at it. And uh, he was kind of explaining how uh, he says that you know they were waiting for Carson Wentz to be quote unquote 100 to play in his first game. And you know he was saying, well, that's not true because if that was actually true, he would be on the pup and he wouldn't be a start until like week nine. So um, you know, and I said it on the last podcast that I thought. Foles had his performance against Tampa Bay. Everyone kind of looked at each other and said, Carson Wentz is healthy. And yeah, that's pretty much exactly how it went, in my opinion. And so I think you're going to not get the full version of Carson Wentz that you know we're expecting to see from Carson Wentz. It's going to be a, simplicated, a simplified version of him. Um, and it's a simplified version against someone who already knows so much about him. So, you know, they're not going to move him around in the pocket. He's not going to extend plays. He's going to try and get the ball out quick. But, you know, that kind of just plays right into the Colts' hand, and that's what the Colts are wanting to do. And I talked about the safety play with Malik Hooker, and he can kind of just condense things, and then you can mix and match your safeties, and that's how you're going to defend their tight ends. Not only that, you have Darius Leonard, who I was saying, just through two weeks just looks like a monster, their linebacker in the middle. So they can kind of match up with them in terms of their linebackers and their um, – or their tight ends and their running backs. And then you look at, you know, Nelson Aguilar could probably have a good game, but if they keep lining him up in the slot, that's actually where the Colts have been the best this season. And on the outside, they're losing playmakers. You know, Mike Wallace and Matt Collins have been gone. I said, I thought maybe they're Josh Gordon contenders. So 
Alshon's coming back soon, but not yet. They don't have really anything to extend the field. I still like Malik Hooker. You know, I was saying I want someone to test Indianapolis deep because I think they could be good in that regard, but I got to see it. I don't think Wentz is going to be the one to do it, or if he does, it might not go the way that he's thinking. And then I said, you know, I've been talking about Indianapolis's offensive line since they stonewalled Geno Atkins in them, and I think that that was still impressive because it carried over to uh, the, against Washington and they got the win there. So, you know, you have an interior offensive line that's always worth buying into when you have a quarterback like Andrew Luck. And, uh, you know, you look at the, the Philly def- defensive line, it's obviously the strength of the team. And, I, you know, I said I wanted to see this Colts offensive line get tested. They're definitely gonna. But um, Timmy Jernigan's out for the game. So it's still a banged-up Eagles team trying to get themselves back into Super Bowl form. You know, they're like I said, they're kind of speeding up the process with the Wentz and stuff, but they're still getting back into form. They're still shaking off the rust. Nigel Bradham gave up a touchdown uh, to uh, last week against, I think it was uh, the slot receiver. And then uh, he's, you know, it was his first game back and they're going to play Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle. So I think it's a spot. It's definitely a spot for the Colts in my opinion. And I'm thinking it's a spot for the under too, because a lot of people are probably thinking, you know, luck versus Wentz. We got to shoot out, you know, with the gunslinger quarterbacks, here we go. And you're going to get, you know, Luck is, uh, he's second to Sam Bradford in terms of intended air yards. So, you know, Luck is the check down of the check down right now. And, but it's working because Frank Reich, you know, was doing it with the Eagles and he's doing some really easy stuff in terms of getting their receivers out in these like slants and quick little uh, short crossers. And, you know, Jalen Mills is struggling. Sidney Jones is a rookie. And uh, what's his name? Ronald Darby. I just said that um, Mike Evans just really torched him on comeback routes and quick passing. So I think, you know, Colts get the quick passing going. Wright kind of can scheme up some things against Wentz, force a few punts. I'm thinking Colts and under here. Um, I'll admit I haven't taken really any of these plays that I'm telling you guys about yet. And that's just kind of, you guys have to follow us on Twitter uh, at the TNF podcast at odds on investments. And we'll be tweeting them probably here by, yeah, by Friday, they'll probably be tweeted, but uh, yeah, I'm looking Colts and under in this game. Yeah. I got the good old revenge game versus a uh, Carson Wentz coming back with limited weapons. I mean, they just signed uh, what's his name? Jordan Matthews to the slot. And they're going to put Aguilar, who's more comfortable in the slot to the outside. And you've seen his splits between the outside and the slot. He's not as good on the outside. I mean, I like to play the lean least you have for now. Yeah, that'll probably be a play here because I'm, I'm really starting to think that, that that Colts matchup. And, you know, listen, the Colts were good last year, and they just needed a quarterback to kind of close things out for him. And, you know, I said that, you know, maybe he's not throwing it down the field, but it's working right now. And it, it, keep him within seven. Maybe think about the money line too, so we'll see. All right, there it is. All right, let's move on to a little – Cross conference matchup here. You got the two and zero Andy Dalton Bengals rolling into Carolina against the one and one Cam Newtons. Um, the Pan- Panthers are minus three and the over under is forty three and a half. Parks, this is a uh, weird little game here. What are your what's your thoughts here? Yeah, it is weird because first off, I was you know these all these podcasts I keep talking up the Bengals. All these podcasts I keep talking down the Panthers. We're getting three on the road. It should just be you know easy. And then I'm looking into it and it's you know. The Panthers' O-line is actually holding up a little better than I thought, and they did better um, against Atlanta than I thought. I know I said they needed that fourth-quarter comeback to kind of keep it close to the number, but uh, they're doing really well in terms of adjusted line yards, good football outsider stat. I know even the football outsiders guys say it'll, it'll take four weeks to really kick into, you know, actually see what these stats mean. But at the end of the day, they're, they're playing well and they're coming back home. So it's an interesting little spot for them, but it's a huge, huge matchup because – 
it's that defensive line of Cincinnati that I keep talking up and keep betting on Cincinnati for. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. But the fact of the matter is, without Vontez Perfect, the only team that gives up more passes to running backs uh, is Atlanta. But Cincinnati's the second most in giving up passes to running backs uh, because of the Vontez Perfect issue. And that's going to just be another Christian McCaffrey game. So, you know, it's really working out for both sides in terms of Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey because they're elongated handoffs. But they're, you know, bumping up uh, Cam Newton's completion percentage. They're making him look efficient, and he is being efficient in it. But McCaffrey's able to kind of work the ball down the field. And it's kind of tough to say that, you know, is Cincinnati going to be able to, you know, are they prepared to do that against Christian McCaffrey? Kind of tough to say. Then you move on to the, uh, the Carolina defense, and, you know, Billy Price, I said I thought he was okay. It turns out he's out uh, this week. They said it wasn't Liz Frank, so it's not a severe foot injury. But he's out this week nonetheless, and he was a guy that you know they drafted in the first round, and they didn't draft him based off of his upside or his athleticism. They drafted him because he was a communicator. He, you know, he's from the Ohio State offensive line where these guys are just polished, plug and play starters. You know, who can kind of, kind of just come in and control things. And you know, I said that once once things start to fall apart for Andy Dalton, I start to get questionable about Andy Dalton. And, you know, not only, you know, Joe Mixon's out, we'll talk about that in a second, but, you know, Billy Price is kind of maybe the first piece, especially when you look at Kawan Short has had a good year and they just signed Dontari Poe, who can kind of hold things up and make Short a really a big uh, upfield penetrator. So then, you know, you kind of look to the, I said the Andy Dalton thing with Bill Lazor, how he kind of had a reverse split in terms of he's a lot better against common opponents, where he used to really struggle against common opponents because common opponents used to switch things up and he would crap his pants. But then uh, now Lazor is kind of simplifying things to where it doesn't matter when teams switch things up. He's just making a quick read or he's just kind of dumping it off. But at the end of the day, that's a reverse split because it means he's struggling more against those uncommon opponents because maybe the simple stuff is you know easier to defend in that regard so you're wondering about that and then you look at some of the other matchups um i talked about the the uh, joe mixon thing i don't think it's a huge issue because i really like giovanni bernard but when you talk about that defensive line offensive line uh question mark it's it becomes an issue because you know not only is the center now a weakness but i think he was kind of holding up the right side of the offensive line for the Bengals. And, you know, they're kind of shuffling around. I think they're going to put their right guard at center. And now they're, you know, two positions are worse. Right tackle is already their worst position. So, you know, I, I said, you know, what if what if things start to fall apart for the Andy Dalton offense? You know, this is the start of it, potentially. Um, you look at the – on the outside, uh, they follow their cornerbacks. At least James Betcher did uh, – Last year, the defensive coordinator for the uh, Panthers. So it's his first year as defensive coordinator for the Panthers, but he typically follows cornerbacks. And when you look at stylistically, you have Dante Jackson, smallest cornerback, but the guy who actually, you know, was uh, last year, he led the combine in terms of the 40. And then who's he going to guard is John Ross's short little guy who, you know, the year before led the combine in the 40. Uh, you have James Bradbury, who's a big physical athletic cornerback who's probably going to follow A.J. Green, a big physical long cornerback. Uh, Luke Keekley versus Tyler Eifert. So, you know, you start to wonder, is this really where the matchups are going to be? Um, it's probably a big Tyler Boyd game because that's where their weakness is and Thomas Davis is still out. So it's probably a Giovanni Bernard game for sure. So, um, yeah, the, the more you look into it, it's it's tougher to, date, to really buy into the Bengals as much as I would have liked to. So um, it's kind of a pass at this point and just wondering, you know, uh, if, if the Bengals offense can really put up. Yeah, it will be interesting to see without any Joe Mixon. Um, they also said they'll sprinkle a little Walton in, right? If 
I wasn't mistaken. Yeah, but then they said they were signing running backs and, you know, Walton was inactive already because, uh, you know, he wasn't even active as their third running back. So I guess they're not really uh, – they're not happy with what they're seeing with Walton. So it sounds like it's going to be the Bernard show. I know he's kind of banged up too. Yeah, he's a little banged but, up. Yes, yeah, so that's even less confidence for the Bengals on the road in this spot. Damn. All right. Well, let's move on down to Jacksonville. I guess we'll talk about this game, but, I mean, there's no lines because we don't know who's going to start a quarterback for the Titans yeah. here. So I'm not sure if you want to talk about this game, but, I mean, you can get into it. I, do you have any idea what the line could be if knowing what quarterback is there? No, and I haven't really looked into it because I don't think it's really a play for me, honestly, because the big thing, in my opinion, is the Jaguars are kind of coming off their Super Bowl, really. You know, that was definitely a game that when the schedules come out, that you circle week two against the Patriots. You know, there's no doubt about it. That was, you know, that's how they, their season ended. Jalen Ramsey talked all offseason. Um, you know, they're still talking about it. Uh, Tashawn Gibson is just bragging about how he shut down Rob Gronkowski. You know, Blake Bortles is just, you know, the superstar quarterback. It's just, you know, just a lot of hype for Jacksonville. Are you going to come off of that hype? Drop because, your right, because now you're at home, and it's not only at home, it's against a division opponent. And I really like Mike Vrabel as a head coach so far. He hasn't done anything for me to to kind of fade off of that. And when he goes, you know, in a, a must-win game in a division game against the Houston Texans, I talked about how he kind of game-planned for it. And he made the quarterback, you know, a mystery because, you know, he's game-planning around Blaine Gabbert. That only helps him. So um, I think he's probably going to come up with a decent little game plan, whereas, you know, maybe the Jaguars are kind of – you know, coming off this high, you know, maybe coming down a little low, you know, you add in that Cam Robinson is going to be out for the season at left tackle. I was listening to Ross Tucker, who's a former offensive line, and he has a pretty good um, offensive line evaluation. And he said he actually likes the backup at left tackle, but I don't know anything about the backup at left tackle. So, you know, that's a huge key point on this, you know, offense, because this is what they live off of is, you know, running the football. So that'll be interesting. Also, the Leonard Fournette, if he's in, I talked about how, it, you know, when he's out, the offense actually is more free-flowing. When he's in, it's more control the clock, round and pound. So it's a completely different offense. So not only is the Gabbert to Mariota handicap tough, the Fournette to Corey Grant and Yeldon handicap is actually a different game altogether when you consider it. And then you have, you know, the, the left tackles out and uh, two players really coming into their own for the Titans are Harold Landry had a sack in his uh, career debut and, you know, he fell to the second round because he has injury questions and he missed week one. But when he has, he, he's going to have a sack every single game. He's healthy. He's that talented, especially as a rotational pass rusher with Arakpo and Morgan. And then they just got Kamalema, whatever, Correa from Boise State. He was drafted by the Ravens. And Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator from the Ravens, is now on the Titans. So uh, he ended up trading for Correa, who's kind of been in and out. You know, the Ravens run that hybrid defense. He didn't really fit in the hybrid defense. He's more of a 3-4 outside linebacker, and he's playing well through two weeks at 3-4 outside linebacker. So they have a good rotation of four pass rushers against you know a, a backup left tackle against a team who's running high against an offense that I don't know about. It's under all the way, or it's nothing at all, in my opinion. And, I mean, I, it's, yeah, it's so tough to get, look into the Titans because Blaine Gabbard against pressure, I already said that's the worst thing in the entire world. You don't know about... Um, their, their tackle play, the Titans tackle play, and then I mean the Jacksonville Jaguars. Geez, so if Mike if Mike Brave, if Mike Vrabel is smart, you kind of just run the ball like 
every single down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you throw it to Dion Lewis a little bit, but you just run the ball every single down and you try and get out of there alive. Like I said, your defense might have a decent little matchup against the Jaguars offense here. So uh, it's under- monster of a running back, Derrick Henry. He's a giant human being. Right, yeah. And I mean, the, the Jaguars' weakness, if there is a weakness, would be running the football up the middle. I know that, you know, ever since they got Darius, has been a huge weakness, but... I mean, Henry got going a little bit against the uh, Texans last week. They're going to continue to rotate those two. But, yeah, I mean, I see there's no way that you bet anything but the under in this game. All right, fair enough. Any guesses on what that could be, like 30, high 30s? Probably? Yeah, probably like 39, something like that. Yeah, I mean, if it's like 41, 42, you're probably definitely taking the under. Gamer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because Jacksonville did just score 30. Yeah, but that was a shoot bowl. But, eh, you know. Yeah, right. But, I, I mean, I don't think too many people will handicap, you know, the fade off. I think they're they're all kind of saying Blake's, you know, Blake yeah. wins the He's Super the Bowl boat. this year. Right. So, I mean, and, and, hey, he played really well, so he deserves it. But, like I said, you got to string it together for me because it's, what, year six of him? Yeah, yeah. He did. It's <laughs> common. It's common. It's common. <laughs> yeah, this is a big chance to prove me wrong. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move down to the Dirty South. Not Nolens, but we'll go to Atlanta, where both these teams have an arena named after Mercedes-Benz, in case you're wondering, fun fact. Um, huh. the, yeah, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, right. the Mercedes-Benz something, I don't know, their new fucking sick-ass arena, or whatever the hell it is. Right out in the suburbs. Yeah, where they have Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. Very confusing. <laughs> um, so we have the Falcons... Minus three favorites against the Saints. The over-under is going to be a fun guy to watch. 54. We have, uh, I think we're going to have Tevin Coleman in the backfield again. And the Saints are uh, fully healthy. Um, coming off a squeaker by the Browns. Um, Parks, are we going to have a shootout here? What are we going to have? I mean, the last uh, last year, these teams both played and they um, both went under. And somewhere in the 30s, the total points were. Uh, we're looking over-under. We're looking Falcons, Saints. What are we looking at here? Yeah, I'm thinking that total might be a little too high, honestly. You know, like you said, I think people get real excited for Dome, Atlanta, New Orleans, yeah. all that. Right, you know what I mean? And then maybe it doesn't live up to the hype. Maybe it doesn't, but I'm not even too invested in the total, but I'm definitely going to be on New Orleans. This will probably be the first one that we get into because I was kind of saying on the last podcast that I was kind of looking to fade Atlanta because it's starting to feel like a really bad season for them. And, you know, but the spot was just so, so good against Carolina. And that's why I can't invest in Carolina against Cincy, despite some questions for Cincy. But, um, you know, then you get to Atlanta and uh, they lost Deion Jones. They lost Keanu Neal. Now they lose Andy Levitre at right guard. And this was a team where, you know, Ross Tucker again, I think he had them as his number four offensive line coming into the season. And, you know, the Ross, Ross Tucker typically um, applies a lot into his offensive line rankings is continuity. And you know, I think he had, I think he had the Steelers as number one because of their continuity. But um, you know, and that's that's just a huge uh, piece in this offensive line was Andy Levitre. He's just always kind of been in there. So um, I kind of think that's a bigger loss than people think, especially because last week was kind of the emergence of Sheldon Rankins, a former first round pick from for the Saints. Um, he missed the first game and he kind of came back in the second game and played really well, in my opinion. So I think he's going to have a good matchup here getting some pressure on Matt Ryan, you add in the fact that, um, like I said, they didn't really close against Carolina. They had this fourth quarter lead and they st- they weren't able to put that thing away. And they ha- they still have some pre- pretty questionable red zone issues. You know, there was a, Sark has some really questionable calls, especially early into the game. I talked about how Matt Ryan kind of bailed him out of the one, and, you know, there was like that sigh of relief whenever he got that red zone touchdown. 
but you still have those red zone questions for Atlanta. So, you know, I'm wondering, you know, another thing was Julio Jones, I think I saw he's getting like 73% of the target share right now in Atlanta. Like, like three-fourths of their entire Damn. offense just goes through Julio somehow Jones. somehow doesn't have a fucking point. touchdown. What the fuck? Right, yeah, that's another, yeah, I mean, they could get him between the 20s and then they can't. But, uh, yeah, I think that means, you know, Marcus Williams, I said he had a great rookie season. It was capped off by just a horrible moment against Stefan Diggs. And then, you know, the first play, Deshaun Jackson gets him. And it's like, oh God, I hope his confidence. He played pretty well against um, against the or against Cleveland in the, in, the, in the last game. So you know, maybe he can bounce back, and they can kind of bracket Julio with a Marshawn. You know, Marshawn should probably follow him, and you get Marshawn and him kind of over the top. Um, so maybe they're starting to figure some things out there. Uh, they got Von Bell, who's kind of just a tight end guy. And uh, they can put Von Bell on the uh, tight end and kind of shuffle uh, Kurt Coleman around. So they're starting to figure some things out um, in their back end. The Saints are. So um, you add in, you know, the question with Levitre. You add in the questions on defense. And you know, I said Christian McCaffrey is going to torch them. Uh, you know, now you get now you get Alvin Kamara. And I already I posted one thing that we're, I'm going to plug later into the article. But look at Alvin Kamara's. Um, the routes that he's running right now, he's getting like full work in the passing game, like crazy work in the passing game. And he's going to, they, they just don't have an option on this team. I said Duke Riley was okay against McCaffrey, but I think this is going to be a really bad matchup for Kamara against this team. So um, that's, it, it's where, that's where it's Atlanta is that I, or it's New Orleans is where I'm going to play this game is because I just don't think Atlanta could keep up with that offense. I don't think, you know, it's not just the Levitre, you know, Devontae uh, Freeman, the red zone issues, Still kind of questioning Matt Ryan because I thought the matchup was really well and he kind of had to play well in that spot. So um, I'm really on the Saints. I think that they're going to, you know, maybe win. I think they're going to win. I don't know how comfortably, but I, I do think they're going to probably beat Atlanta in this spot. All right, there you go. Uh, DFS purposes, I mean, is Kamara almost a must start? I mean, McCaffrey had 13 catches last week, yes. Right, yeah, his price is probably going to be oh, pretty. His price uh, is outrageous, but still. Yeah, but I mean, you probably just have to do it, honestly. And then, yeah, I mean, another thing for New Orleans is, you know, yeah, you beat the Browns, but you need that last second field goal to avoid 0 and 2, you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of teams are feeling bad about themselves, and, you know, the Saints are feeling pretty bad about themselves as well. So I think they kind of they kind of need this win at this point. All right, fair enough. Let's get the next game here. We got the Denver Broncos rolling into Baltimore. Baltimore coming after that kind of embarrassing loss to the Bengals there. They are five-point favorites right now, and the over-under is at 44.5. So we have Case Keenum versus Flacco. What do we got here, Parks? Yeah, to me, it's Baltimore or pass. You got to be looking to Baltimore. And I said it already that I'm just not buying Denver. You know, with their two quick little road wins, you know, barely beating Seattle and barely beating Oakland in really good spots. I don't think that that's impressive in any way, especially now you're going to go to the East Coast for an early start. Um, I said I don't think, you know, bad offensive lines don't travel well. You know, it comes down to communication, all of that stuff. So I don't think Denver's offensive line is going to travel too well. And where are you traveling to, you know, a Baltimore defensive line that's pretty good. Um, a guy like Matt Judon probably doesn't get enough attention in terms of his ability to rush the passer. So, I mean, Case Keenum keeps digging them into these holes because he turns the football over. And, you know, I already said that they were having issues in terms of play calling with uh, with the offense. So I'm just so questionable about what they can really do. But you can't buy into Baltimore all the way because one of the big issues that got exposed against Cincinnati was their slot play. 
And, you know, it was Tyler Boyd a lot. And they even got A.J. Green in over the slot. And Emmanuel Sanders is going to be over the slot. And I already talked about how I think he's going to have a pretty big year already. And he's and now he's in a pretty good mismatch. And then you talk about C.J. Mosley. I think he's still questionable for this game. I haven't looked too, too much. And that's another, you know, if C.J. Mosley's in and if he practices tomorrow on Friday, then you're starting to probably definitely look into Baltimore. But if he's out, you know, Kenny Young, I like Kenny Young in that he's a run-and-chase linebacker in today's NFL. That was probably a smart idea because they have this Patrick Onwusiar. He's a former safety, which is, you know, a similar regard, but I'm not too big of a fan of him. And, uh, you know, I think Kenny Young's an upgrade over him. But when you put Kenny Young, the rookie, and Onwus, whatever, the uh, former safety, I think you have some issues in terms of what you're going to do. And, you know, I think that's probably – potentially some Philip Lindsay action you know you keep going with Philip Lindsay in this in this matchup but um it's just so tough to get invested into um another matchup I actually really like uh is the John Brown against really whoever they line up because they have not this has been a Vance uh, Vance Joseph issue it's been the play calling on the offense because he doesn't have too too much control of the offense but he seems to be a coach where there's a lot of talk about his control. You know, he's trying to establish his control of the entire team, and he's kind of poking and prodding into the offense. And that's where some of the questions are coming into. But he also has it with the defense, where a lot of these players won a Super Bowl with Wade Phillips, and they're still in this Wade Phillips state of mind. And one of the big issues has been whether or not Chris Harris should play on the outside or in the slot. And he just stays in the slot now. But you saw Tyler Lockett got him deep last uh, a couple games ago. And then Amari Cooper, you know, I think he was 10 receptions on 10 targets. And Derek Carr was kind of just picking on their outside cornerbacks because now Chris Harris is kind of isolated into the slot and you can kind of avoid that matchup. And that's going to, you know, who can be, or, you know, what's Tyler Lockett reminiscent of stylistically is John Brown. I think John Brown could do um, kind of a similar thing in that regard. And that's why you're thinking, you know, uh, Baltimore had extra time from this Thursday night thing. You know, they kind of just... They didn't really get embarrassed because they fought back, but they kind of got their butts kicked a little bit. Um, they're kind of licking their wounds a little bit, but with that extra time, and I think John Harbaugh just you know outclasses Vance Joseph in terms of coaching. So you know, with the extra time, you get Denver on the road. Um, I gotta see. I want to see their middle linebackers, and it's tough. That's why I'm really not in it yet. But uh, that's where I'm leaning at this point is is Baltimore. All right, fair enough. Good old Baltimore, John Brown, big play, and watch out for that uh, Musuwa. How do you say it? Musuwa. Yeah, on Musuwa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Musuwa. Okay. Yeah, it's like a second or third year, and I just haven't even tried. Fair enough. All right, let's move on down to uh, Houston here, as we have the uh, New York Alzheimer's Eli Manning Giants <laughs> rolling down to Texas to play good old Deshaun Watson and looks like we should have a uh, healthy Will Fuller so right. keep that in mind and uh, now the Texans are minus six and the over-under being a 42 here Parks just a weird little game another inter-conference matchup uh, what are your thoughts if it doesn't happen for Deshaun Watson now it's just it's probably never going to happen so this is like you have to look all or nothing on the Texans side I know the Giants are 0-2 but now they're on the road and I kind of like it just already feels like it's falling apart. It, I don't know what the Giants Wait, are doing, is, honestly. Is Houston 0-2 as well, right? Right, so that's what I mean. Loser leaves that, town, man. Loser leaves town. Right, so it's really all or nothing for Deshaun Watson because the matchup just dictates he has to expose this team. Um, Will Fuller, you talked about it, and I've talked about it. I think they said he had six starts with Deshaun Watson and eight touchdowns so far. Oh, yeah. That's the, yeah, that's the exact stat. So uh, he beat uh, Malcolm Butler again, and, he, you know, 
He just, Deshaun Watson, I've already said that I don't think he's too accurate, but what makes him so talented is his ability to give his players a chance. And he gives Will Fuller a chance, and Will Fuller makes plays on the football. And then you start to look into this defense, and um, it, you have to follow Janoris Jenkins with DeAndre Hopkins because there's not another cornerback on this football team who could stick with DeAndre Hopkins. And that would just get so ugly if Janoris isn't there. Then you look, Janoris Jenkins just got beat by uh, Tavon Austin and Keelan Cole. So, I mean, against DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Janoris Jenkins had, you know, I don't know if whatever is affecting him, but he hasn't played well in two games. So that's an issue for him. Um, you move over, they have Eli Apple, who I don't think is going to play. He hasn't practiced in a while. So who is it? None other than B.W. Webb, who I don't know if even you guys remember this, but he played for the Steelers a while back. Back when the Steelers' defense was really bad, he was starting a little bit. Him and uh, him and Antoine Blake. Uh, what's uh, what's Blake Antoine is. Blake's name now? Valentino. Yeah, yeah, Valentino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Valentino Blake and B.W. Webb have somehow found. You know, B.W. Webb was a special teams guy, and that's why he always kept kind of a away in Pittsburgh. But that was like three years ago, and he was washed back then. They were so bad whenever he was playing, and you know it showed against Dallas. He's been a you know the mismatch, the target player, and if he's going to follow Will Fuller, I mean. It, like I said, if Deshaun Watson doesn't take advantage, it's a really bad issue. I've always I've been saying that the offensive line is really um, it's it's adding into the fact that Deshaun Watson ha- is having a bad year. But you look at this Giants defensive front. Um, I said the Cowboys had some issues in terms of their offensive line. They handled that front just well. And Olivier Vernon, you know, this is week three. He's not playing once again. He's really kind of all they have. And they're already shifting scheme from the 4-3 to the 3-4, and it hasn't been impressive. And the whole piece of it is that um, Vernon can play with his hand up or his hand down. He's not out there, so they, you know, they have. I think his name's like Josh Martin or something like that. It's, not, but it's not good in terms of what they're doing on the edges and what they're doing in terms of pass rush. So um, I'm having a really hard time just thinking. You know, if, if Deshaun Watson struggles in this game, it's clearly it's really all on him, in my opinion. But we'll see. And um, the big issue that I have with Houston in terms of their defense, you know, I already said that I don't think Eli can throw deep, but uh, Houston's already lost some cornerbacks, and they're already kind of struggling a bit with their safeties. I know Honey Badger's pretty good, but when you think about who Honey Badger has to kind of line up on and play in this game, it's Saquon and Evan Ingram who are just, you know, these just physical presences who could really kind of, you know, beat him up. Um, you know, Kareem Jackson, they moved from safety to, uh, or from, yeah, to safety from cornerback because he wasn't that great in man. But these are two players that you get a guy like Kareem Jackson out in space in man against. Uh, the Patriots already attacked uh, Zach Cunningham with Gronk. You know, it's probably going to be similar with Evan Ingram, or you would try to do some similar things with Evan Ingram over the middle. And that just sets up uh, Ben Derrick McKinney, who's this kind of slow downhill thumper against Saquon Barkley as well in space. So um, I do like what Evan Ingram and Saquon can do. But then you look, you know, the, everyone talked about that Giants offensive line from Sunday Night Football. They kind of have to pick it up, you know, their center, John Halapio. Yeah, Flowers is just terrible. Their center, John Halapio, went down with an injury. Um, there was a great piece on The Athletic where um, someone, one of the Giants beat writers, went play sack by sack with uh, Jeff Schwartz, a former offensive lineman, who kind of just explained what really happened in that game. And man, yeah, it is the communication in the offensive line. And he was actually pointing out how good Halapio was. And he was like, yeah, Halapio showed Eric Flowers that this was going to happen. Or he, you know, called it out. And you know, Flowers missed it, or uh, Omame missed it. Uh, so yeah, it's just like, and, and if he's going to be out, and then you add in Jadavian Clowney, supposed to be back and healthy. I said I thought JJ Watt looked really good last week, um, and yeah, it's, it's an all or nothing game. 
you know, JJ Watt and Jadavian Clowney and Whitney Merciless and, you know, even Honey Badgers out there. And they have to, it's their super, like, if they lose this game to the Giants at home, it's over for them. So you, you're looking for all or nothing out of the Texans. You're looking for a win. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. There's not too, too much. I don't know. I'll probably be, I don't know. I'll be looking into the Texans. We'll see. All right. We'll see. Um, keep an eye on uh, Lamar Miller. I think he might have a little sneaky game. Yeah, that too. Because like I said, there's just no, I mean, Snacks is good up front in the middle, but uh, there's just not too much in the Giants in terms of getting up the field and penetrating uh, in the backfield. Sneaky little lemur. All right, let's move on down to South Beach here. We got the uh, Oakland Grudens coming from the West Coast, going all the way to the East Coast of Miami as they play the Tanny Holes. Uh, the Tanny Holes are minus three, the Dolphins are, and the over-under is 44 and a half. Parks, this is, uh, this is a cool matchup here. I think, what, 0-2 versus 1-1? Yeah, I think so. It's a big one for you know both sides. Or no, the Dolphins are undefeated. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, the, the state of Florida is undefeated. Wow. Right, yeah. Wow, wow. The Miami Dolphins, yeah. Dang. Don't disrespect Ryan Tannehill like Sorry. that. Sorry. It's on me. It's on me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is, you know, this is the spot where you kind of have to look Raiders or pass, and it comes down to that 0-2 at 2-0. and You know, are we really buying the Miami Dolphins feeling themselves at home, you know? Uh, then I, I talked about the 10 a.m. start for West Coast to East Coast at one point, and I talked about how I didn't know if it was a huge deal for Rivers, and he played well last week for Buffalo. Uh, when you look at Derek Carr historically, he's actually been really good in the 10 a.m. start. So whatever it is about him, is it's not a too huge of an issue. And I kind of had said that I thought the game plan for Gruden has been pretty obvious, and I've talked about how against the Rams and the last game, I thought he was going to pound the football with Marshawn Lynch, get out to an early lead, um, fail to do that in the second half, and blow that lead. It's happened in the, the first two games. And I think it's going to happen again, honestly, because you look at their defensive, or the, yeah, the defensive line of the Miami Dolphins. I, I said it on their one podcast that they haven't really got much when they lost Sue. Um, Makeem Spence has played decent, but that interior of the Raiders is strong. Like there, There's a reason that they're hanging in these games. They're they're not good, but they're not complete hot garbage because at least they have that going for them. And uh, yeah, Donald Penn stonewalled uh, Von Miller last week. And Colton Miller actually played pretty well. The rookie at left tackle has actually been well. And Ted Nguyen of the Athletic, if you want to kind of look more into that, had a really good piece about how Miller's kind of playing a little well. So that's uh, Wake and that's Robert Quinn. Maybe you're thinking that they can kind of get up on him early. They can kind of figure some things out. I've already said that I don't like Miami's linebackers, especially in terms of coverage. And, you know, Jared Cook, here we go again. They're probably going to get him involved in this game. So, you know, the question is, can you hang on and can you hold on to this this game? Um, and it, it comes down to, you know, Ryan Tannehill in this offense. Um, they're moving the football around a lot, and it's, it's actually pretty good. Like I said, he's kind of game managing. He's spreading it around. He's using his legs to kind of make things happen. And then he's like picking his spots with Kenny Kenny Stills down the field. And um, Gary Gary on Conley, it was his second start last season. I think, what, did your mom buy a Jeep from him or something? No, nah, I bought my truck off his mom. That's right. Yeah, you, yeah that's it. You bought a truck off Gary on Conley's mom. Uh, but he got beat last week, and I kind of think Kenny Stills, um, like in the third or fourth quarter, might be able to get it, get him uh, like during that potential Dolphins comeback. So we'll see if, we'll see if that one ends up working did out. You, uh, did you see you starting for Miami or possibly playing? No, I didn't know. Oh, uh, Devontae. Devontae. He's not playing Fortnite <laughs> oh, anymore, dude. Welcome back, Devontae. I mean, my question is, does he hinder this offense? Probably. <laughs> like they're, 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 they're working, man. They're already moving. Jakeem Grant has took his spot, and he's catching these short little passes and turning them upfield. And, you know, Albert Wilson does the same thing. Amendola does the same thing. 
you know, Devontae doesn't really do that. We'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see how they get him involved. Maybe he could be like that Mike Gesicki role because they've been looking for like a red zone jump ball player and they've kind of been going to Gesicki. And uh, he's kind of, he's, I don't know, he's not physically there for the NFL yet. Um, and they don't know really how to use him yet. So that's a huge question. But um, I'm kind of thinking over here because, like I said, I think that they could really um, punch him in the mouth with their interior offensive line. I think Carr is pretty good in the early game. And, you know, maybe people aren't buying into that. And, you know, people are looking at Carr and they're looking at Tannehill and they're both thrown for like 200 yards and stuff, but they're, they are completing a ton of passes. And then you look at, you know, who they're going to play against in terms of the Raiders have, you know, I think Derek Johnson is still their linebacker, you know, who's like 80 years old. And the Dolphins have, you know, Kiko Alonso and all them who are pretty old in their own regards. So I think there could be some players, you know, getting out in space and, uh, you know, some Kenyon Drake action in this one. And they could kind of go a little bit back and forth in the second half. So um, I'm kind of looking, I'm looking over in this game. I haven't touched it yet. And um, I'm definitely looking Oakland or pass, but um, I just, I keep thinking that Gruden's probably going to do the same thing he does. And, you know, Adam Gase on the other side, it's, it's similar to, you know, a Sean McVay type of idea where he's kind of a smart, young, offensive minded coach. And he can kind of go into the half and isolate matchups and come out in the second half. Whereas Gruden is going to, you know, I keep saying he's going to go in the half and say inspirational bullshit and nothing's going to change. And that's what's happened in two straight games. So, I mean, it's going to happen probably for the third straight game. So look for Oakland to probably get their hearts crushed again in the last seconds. All right, so so hammer the Dolphins second half line. We, we got you. Yeah, there you go. That's a, that's a good. Yeah, look, once they're trailing and it's like seventeen to seven, look into the Dolphins. <laughs> Just hammer that shit. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Let's go on to Washington as uh, the fans may show up for this game as they get Aaron Rodgers rolling in town. Uh, Rodgers on the road is a three point favorite, and the over under is forty five and a half. Parks, what do we got here? At first, I was looking to Green Bay, and now I'm probably just going to pass it because um, I, I said I thought Rodgers was playing pretty well last week. And you start to look at some of the questions that I had in terms of you know their secondary and everything like that, uh, the Washington Redskins. It could set up for a decent little Jimmy Graham day, and it could set up for you know some of their Ty Montgomery, Aaron Jones is back. It could set up for a little bit of that. But then I started digging into uh, a lot of the situational people aren't like in this spot. And I kind of, I'm starting to buy into it because you have this, uh, you know, on the road, off of overtime, you know, not only that, which is, you know, that extra 10 minutes, but, you, you know, you, and then you have to go on the road and travel and everything like that. But it was Chicago their first week, you know, division rival. Um, you know, the, Bear, the Packers kind of think of the Bears as baby brother. But, you know, whether they like it or not, they had to, you know, extend, expend all their energy coming back in the second half to beat that rival because you can't lose to the Chicago Bears. And then, you know, the, the Minnesota game, like I said, with all the emotion and all the drama, and they should have won that game if it weren't for that stupid penalty on Clay Matthews that really isn't a penalty if we're talking about like football. But um, so, you know, you go through all of that and it's the Minnesota Vikings who are, you know, the Super Bowl team, the team that's going to take Aaron Rodgers out in the division, the team, you know, like I said, there was a revenge spot last week for the Packers because that's where Aaron Rodgers was hurt just last season. So, you know, you expend all your energy against the Bears, you expend all your energy against the Vikings, and now you're on the road in Washington and, you know, a game that it, obviously they all mean something, but, you know, this isn't the biggest of the big for them. And then I looked into, uh, or someone else had it on uh, Mike Pettin, or not Mike Pettin, Mike McCarthy in the first four weeks of the season really struggles on the road. And it's something that I've been talking about for a while now is the first four weeks, a lot of these smart teams 
don't really care about the first four weeks. They're using it as an extended preseason. And that's why, you know, I was starting to go through these games and I kept saying, like, quit overreacting to these first two weeks and, like, just start looking for little things to buy, you know, little things to buy into, not, like, big overreactions to take away from in these first two weeks. And that's exactly why is because, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, they're struggling. I said the Saints are struggling already. Bill Belichick, oh, where's the defense? Oh, where's the playmakers? Mike Tallman has lost the locker room. Like, <laughs> all these teams are going to be like 10 and 6 by the end of this thing. So, um, you know, all these road road struggles and things like that, uh, I, I don't buy into – I do buy into the fact that I don't think Mike McCarthy is going to bring too much into this, you know, his first ro- – or this, you know, first road game um, outside of the division with this spot on the line. So the matchups tell me Packers, the situation is just screaming Redskins, but I'm not buying into the Redskins enough. Um, I know the Packers are struggling against the run a little bit, but I don't think that's, I'm not buying into that. Like I said, I like the way that their front seven or their, at least their front three are playing. And I think they can play pretty well against Adrian Peterson. And this Jay Gruden offense is pretty predictable in terms of running the ball on first down. So I just, and not throwing to the wide receivers. Yeah, not there, and yeah, that's another thing is where they're, yeah, they're it, it's somewhat predictable in what they're going to do. Um, so yeah, it's it's honestly a stay away to me. I was going to be looking to Green Bay, now I just can't do it. And uh, tidbit for Packers, they do get suspended player Aaron Jones back, who is said to be the best running back there. He might sneak in a couple plays. I'm not sure what his usage will be. Yeah, I honestly, I have uh, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones on one of my fantasy teams, and I'm not starting either. If you had to ask me, I'd probably start Jamal, but. I, I'm not. I'm starting Philip Lindsay over both of them if that's worth you know if give, gives you context. All right, well there you go. All right, let's move on to Minnesota and the Bills as we have the biggest spread of the year and of the week, obviously. <laughs> as this is just some sort of spread. Uh, Minnesota minus sixteen and a half. It actually went up from sixteen and sixteen and a half. Overrunners of forty. This makes the implied total for the Bills. I don't know what the math is on that. Somewhere in the teens. I mean, Parks, we got Shady's hurt. We have Josh Allen rolling in the, the, the freaking uh, Viking lair. I mean, this spread, it justifies itself, but damn, it's big. Yeah, and I've said it multiple times that, you know, you won't catch me laying 10 in the NFL often, but I already did give this one away was I laid nine and a half, and I did oh, it yeah. in the first half because it's just, this is just a spot. It's honestly – I'm not even looking at matchups in this game, and I'm not even going to talk long about this game. It'll be more about what I learned from this game, you know, Josh Allen, or yeah, Josh Allen wise. But it's just a spot where the Vikings next week have Thursday night football against the Los Angeles Rams. And, you know, I know Mike Zimmer, and, you know, I was talking about how maybe Belichick and McCarthy and some of these guys, if you lose in week two, it's not too big of a deal. Um, Mike Zimmer wants to go 16 and 0. Like, he's that kind of guy. He's a very, um, very, very uh, intense guy. And I just think that he's going to lay down the hammer that we are not, you know, effing looking ahead because that's how Mike, I don't know if you ever heard Mike Zimmer talk, but Mike Zimmer swears a lot. And he's, he's not going to have this team look ahead. Yeah, but he's going to, like, he knows what's going on and he knows that they have a short week next week. And he knows that Buffalo, and Buffalo knows what's going on too. You know, Sean McDermott knows what's going on too. We all know what's going on here. Um, I think Mike Zimmer is just going to get up on him early. I think it was what twenty-eight to three in the uh, Charger game, and then they came roaring back in the second half. Yeah. I think it's going to be the same thing, and you try and rest some of your key guys. You know, Dalvin Cook, maybe even Benjamin Fantasy because you know he plays the first quarter. I know you know what if he has like fifty yards and a touchdown in the first quarter, but what if he has fifty yards and a touchdown and then he's benched in you know the second quarter? So um, I think it's that kind of game though where. You, you know, maybe Kirk Cousins just starts it off with just a rocket, you know, a bomb to Stefan Diggs. 
and you kind of just salt them away and you just stay as healthy as possible. And that's why there's no way you catch me laying 17 in the full game because I just think, you know, Josh Allen, gunslinger, you know, maybe this is like a six-point game by the end of it type of thing. But uh, I do think Minnesota probably jumps them from the start and, you know, probably starts to look ahead at halftime. You know, they're not looking ahead this week, but they're probably looking ahead at halftime. All right. So that so one of your official plays is that game, right? Yeah, the first half, minus nine and a half. I think, you know, 17-7 is like a worst-case scenario, and I think that covers. All right. We'll put that in. Let's see. Oh, shit. All right, man. Nice little sound effect. You didn't. Li- you can't hear it because you can't listen to it. But you'll whenever you listen back. Like, all right. Um, all right. Let's move on. We have a nice little interconference matchup once again, which we have Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners rolling in the good old the godsend himself, Patty Mahomes. We have an over under fifty five and a half. This might be a DFS just Wonderland, and the Chiefs at home are minus six and a half point favorites. Parks, I mean, I think Vegas is looking at this Steeler game and giving the Chiefs quite the advantage here. What do you think? Yeah, that's exactly one of the things that I was saying. And I was saying that even Pat Mahomes is better than I think. This is like as crazy as I thought it was going to be. Everything like that. And even I'm kind of stepping back and saying, you know, let's just take a second. Let's breathe. Let's remember who the 49ers are, you know. And they went onto the road to Minnesota and, you know, bashing for that whatever you know that's a tough that's a tough spot to start your season and then i talked about how it's kind of all or nothing on monday night for the lions because of you know all that just they got throttled by sam darnold on monday night football that's a really that's not a great spot for san francisco either and you know it was like 30 to 17 san francisco in that game for a while and i'm starting to think like how does an offensive mind like kyle shanahan beat pat mahomes you know what i mean and i'm thinking about it and i'm starting to think about the super bowl and how, you know, Kyle Shanahan has his, you know, uh, his hand around the throat of Bill Belichick and he kind of lets off a little bit and he does, or, you know, he was trying to really kind of run up the scoreboard a little bit and it, you know, it ended up stalling the play clock, you know, uh, the defense of the Patriots made a few plays and all of a sudden he lost the Super Bowl. So I'm thinking that, you know, Kyle Shanahan has talked a lot. Kyle Shanahan, I like it because he's a young coach and all these young coaches are so much more open in like the media and like talking about like things and he's talked a lot about how, possession you know time of possession is something that he has to harp on a little bit more and that he wasn't really thinking about in the Super Bowl and I think that's what you have to do in this football game and it's what the Steelers didn't do and you know it's kind of smart and it's it's the Mike Tomlin way is that you know we're this alpha dog you know nobody comes into Pittsburgh and outscores us you know (laughs) nobody and that's why you know you throw the first pass to James Washington deep down the sideline and if it connects it's seven nothing Pittsburgh and you know people are just going crazy and you know that alpha dog mentality and they're just going crazy but um that's not how it went the smarter idea probably would have been to run the football establish the play clock you know move the chains a little bit and you know slowly matriculate down the field keep Pat Mahomes cold a little bit and I think that Kyle Shanahan, from his Super Bowl position, you know, from he's laid out brilliant game plans against Minnesota and against uh, what's their names against uh, Detroit. So I mean, he's laid out some pretty good stuff. And then you look at Jimmy G. I mean, before the season, is anybody telling you that Pat Mahomes is better than Jimmy G? I mean, maybe like you know, there's some crazy people that are you know Definitely thinking about it or, or yeah, they're all talking about it. But like. Uh, Jimmy G's still really freaking good. There's just no doubt about it, in my opinion. I'm not even close to being off the Jimmy G train from what he's done against, like I said, Minnesota's so tough. And, you know, Detroit, I know he didn't put up too, too much against Detroit, but Shanahan had a quote about how he thought that 
the Detroit cornerbacks were a little grabby. And I talked about how it was all or nothing for this group. You know, you can't get embarrassed again. So you're a little grabby. I know Trent Taylor just got mugged on one play. I mean, he kind of slipped a little bit too, but, uh, and that led to some Jimmy G sacks and that led to him kind of, it looked like he was standing in the pocket forever. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I think when you look at this Chiefs secondary and defense, they're going to be playing a lot of off coverage. And I already talked about how slow their linebackers are and how I thought the Steelers probably should have threw it more. You know, Jesse James did have a huge game, but even probably should have threw it a little more to James Conner. And, you know, I think they're going to throw it to Breida. I think they're going to throw it to Juszczyk and George Kittle. They're going to just dominate over the middle of the field. And what happens over the middle of the field is the clock's going to run. So, I mean, that's really, that's like the only way you can kind of slow down this offense at this point. Because then you look at their defense. Um, Richard Sherman, it's been interesting because he hasn't been tested yet. There, it's like been notable that um, quarterbacks just aren't going his way right now. And they're, you know, this, they're going to play pretty standard cover three, and he's going to kind of play that deep third. So it'll be interesting because, you know, Tyreek Hill, um, Sammy Watkins, players like that, that'll be just a huge matchup. But then on the other side, you have Akella Witherspoon, who has been the guy getting beat up. Marvin Jones almost beat him a few times. But I've been a big Witherspoon fan because what he is is he's 6'3 and like 200 pounds. He's just freaking so huge and so long. And he's pretty smart. He's just growing into his body. Like he's still... He was like 5'8 when he was like 18, and he's like 23 years old. So he's like, he's still figuring out a lot of the nuances of the game. And, you know, great mentor is Richard Sherman. And, you know, Sherman talked about how, you know, he's not going to harp on getting beat up, this and that. He's ready for the challenge, this and that. And I think he's a good matchup for the Chiefs receivers because you look, you know, they're just drafted athletic freaks Sammy Watkins, Tyree Kill, even Chris Conley is crazy. And then you look at Jakorski Tart. Um, I talked about how Kyle Rudolph had a nice touchdown on him in week one, but he's also known as the tight end stopper. And Kyle Rudolph had one catch in that game. And Tart was injured last week, but I think he's going to be back this week. So maybe you put him on Travis Kelsey. Like I said, you have the athleticism on the outside with Akello, and you have some of the you know smarts with Richard Sherman. And you know maybe you can slow him down a little bit. Like I said, it's probably it starts with the offense and it starts with uh, time of possession. So yeah, I mean maybe people are thinking about this over. A lot and maybe I'm thinking maybe it's like 20 27 21 type of stuff and uh, so that's why I'm kind of looking into uh, Jimmy G and I'm taking probably the under in this game or I'm looking into the under in this game and I'm gonna be looking for ball control I'm gonna be looking for Jimmy G to try and take that crown back you know um, my one buddy was a 49ers guy and he was saying you know he's kind of happy about the struggles of Jimmy G because it's taken that spotlight away from him but I think Jimmy G you know this is a on the road against the spotlight is on Pat Mahomes like you're this underdog now Jimmy G you know like he's got to come out here and just play high percentage football and control the clock if he does it's going to be uh, 49ers and under I like that Um, any cause for concern on Goodwin playing because I don't know if he's playing or not I saw he's questionable yeah I don't I think there's someone said he was going to play and in my opinion, that just opens up more of the short passing. Like he's more of a decoy in this spot yeah. than he actually would be an impact player. So um, I think, you know, if he plays, that's just more for the Niners in terms of Kittle and in terms of Brita. Those are really the guys that, you know, if, like I said, you said, if you're trying to get exposure against the uh, Chiefs defense, I, I think it's uh, Brita and I think it's Kittle in this game. All right, there you go. Let's move to the four o'clock games as we have the one and only Battle of Los Angeles. This is something here. Yeah. We got Philip Rivers driving a good old hour and a half up in his RV, up the good old uh, where they play at the Coliseum there where the Rams play. And the Rams are minus seven, a whole touchdown at home favorites, and the overrunner is 48. Parks, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be watching this game. I'm so excited for this game. <laughs> so excited. And I'm probably going to have some action on it too. 
And, you know, if you've been listening, I, I have a little exposure on the Chargers to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, I even said in week one that I didn't like the spot against Andy Reid and all that. But um, this is the moment. For, this is truly, in my opinion, the moment for the Chargers. And I think it's their Super Bowl. I really do. I think it's this battle of L.A. Like the Rams are the classic old school L.A. team. They have some fans like already left over. In the, you know, they're already buying some fans due to the fact that McVay, Goff, Gurley, Donald, you know, made the playoffs. Uh, the Chargers are like, you know, the dumb stepsister that nobody really cares about right now. They can't sell out soccer stadiums. Uh, they, like I said, the Chiefs already had uh, they had more fans at their, you know, the Chargers' first home game. If the Chargers want for like in any way to have any chance in the city of Los Angeles, you throw you throw a haymaker in this game and you really like knock this team off. And I really think that they have a chance to do it. I truly do. I think so. Um, with with this spot, I think it's really good. Especially, you know, this line, in my opinion, is just crazy. Because, like I said, there's not going to be... Even the Rams don't have, like, a great home field advantage in terms of Los Angeles. So you're talking about, like... on This is, like, pretty much a neutral field. You know, if it's anything, it's, like, a point and a half towards... Uh, are you telling me that the Rams are really that much better? Like, this should be, like, four and a half, five type of stuff. Maybe four, in my opinion. So, I mean, I think this is going to be a huge one. And I think it has to do with... You're hearing so much on the radio about... I'll take the Rams to win the Super Bowl. This is so obvious. Did you see what they did to the Arizona Cardinals? I'm just like, what? The Arizona Cardinals? Like, weren't we just taking the Ravens to win the Super Bowl last week whenever, you know, they were beating up on Buffalo? Like, come on, guys. They beat, you know, I already said it was classic John Gruden. And, you know, they kind of pulled away. And they are good. Like, there's no doubt about it. The Rams are a really good team. It's just, are they are they really the Super Bowl contenders two weeks into the season? Like, are they really just going to 37 nothing, 37 nothing? Like, are, no, I don't think they're going to really... Beat the crap out of everybody, especially when perception is so high on this team. And like I said, the Chargers are feeling like the lowest of low. They're feeling like they really need to prove themselves in this city. This is a territorial moment for them. So um, I'm looking for it. And I think in terms of the matchup, you can do it. And I've talked about relentlessly. The char- or the Rams do not have edge pressure and they do not have linebackers. And what have the Chargers been doing? It's been so good. And it's one of the reasons I've looked into the Chargers. You know, Hunter Henry obviously killed it, but... Uh, Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon play on this field all the time together. Like they're just lining up, you know, dual backfield. One of them spread out wide. Melvin Gordon's catch passes like he never has before in his life. Um, And Austin Eckler, we all know what he's doing in this game. So you can motion and you can mix and match and you can figure out which of these guys can get on linebackers. Another thing is they've been um, motioning Eckler in, in on these jet sweeps and you get those on the edge and you know who's on the edge of guy, you know, Samson Ibukon. Uh, is the guy out there for the Rams. So you can figure some things out on the edge and you can get some speed on the edge. And, you know, over the middle of the field, Keenan Allen's in the slot. What's a really good idea, in my opinion, and I I hope I see it. They've been doing some really cool things offensively. You throw Mike Williams in the slot and you get him some space over the middle of the field on some slant routes. Um, Virgil Green has actually been somewhat better than, than, you know, people would have thought. So um, I think that the Chargers can really get out and kind of throw that haymaker, like I said, and they can control the football because you can also run to those tackles. You know, Melvin Gordon doesn't have good vision between the tackles, but he breaks tackles and he's fast and he's like really big. So he can get outside on these guys. And, you know, you avoid, you're avoiding Sue and Donald, the strength of the team, and you're getting outside, forcing these edge guys and these linebackers to, you know, make some serious decisions. So you can control the clock and you can kind of score early and score fast like John Gruden did on them. So I'm starting to think maybe you can figure this out. Then you look at the Rams. They run 11 personnel like 90% of the time. And you're like, okay, well, why would you do that? Because 
I've, I've said it before. Cooks can play in the slot. Cooper Cup can play in the slot. Robert Woods can play in the slot. Why would you even sub any of those guys out? You can kind of just rotate and pick and choose matchups. But you look at the Chargers, and this is another reason why I'd like them to win the Super Bowl is they're designed to stop 11 personnel. They have really good mismatches in terms of their linebackers and safeties to match up with 11 personnel. And it starts with Desmond King is a really good slot cornerback. And he's just like a fiery dude. He's a former... Uh, or he was a cornerback who they tried to move to safety and now he's back in the nickel. And it's a really good fit for him. And I think he could, you know, he could effectively shut down Cooper Cup if Cooper Cup relentlessly stays in the slot. So I think that's a good matchup. And then you look at um, this is why I bet on the Chargers to win the Super Bowl. And it was on draft weekend. I was really feeling it. Um, they drafted Derwin James, they drafted Kaiser White, and they drafted Uchenna and Wosu. Um, we all know Derwin James, and Derwin James is a freak of nature because He's, he's every position. He, he was playing like outside linebacker for snaps and was blitz, like rushing off the edge with crazy bend. And you know, then the next play, he's playing uh, free safety and he's defending a guy down the seam. You know, he's def- tipping passes at the line. He had a sack and a tackle for loss. Like He's everywhere. And he could just, just disrupt the hell out of Jared Goff, who I'm still not sold on his ability to react under pressure. I think that this offense is so perfect for him. And when everything's on timing, it's great. But when a guy like Derwin James can disrupt the timing, it's an issue. And then you say, well, how can Derwin James be such a freelancer? It's because these linebackers are so athletic and you can move them around in such crazy ways. Um, and Wosu is like, he's like an edge rusher slash safety. So you can like mix and match him and Derwin really and like mix and match matchups. Um, he's crazy athletic. Kaiser White has been like so good. The Steelers should, you know, if they wanted to, a mic, or a solution on the inside, they should have just drafted him from West Virginia. He's Kevin White's brother. So, I mean, you know the athleticism and the size is there. And um, he's a former safety playing linebacker now. And it's really working next to Denzel Perryman, who is just, you know, the sideline to sideline guy. So, so much speed in the middle of the field that I think they could get after him. I mean, the big issue here is Joey Bosa's not playing. But like I said, you could substitute some of that pass rush with um, Derwin off of the edges and within Wosu off of the edges. I know they're both rookies. This is just such a huge moment for them. And that's why I'm not on it all the way yet. But I mean, you can, if you can hear by the way I'm talking, I'm definitely looking into the Chargers in this game. Woo. All right. Well, there you go. Father Phil coming up for the Battle of LA against Jared Goffel. I mean, we'll see what happens here. It's going to be a fun guy, I tell you that much. Going to be a great game, yeah. All right, let's move on down to Arizona, where we have the Chicago Bears coming off a big victory. And they're rolling Arizona against a uh, lackluster offense uh, against last week against the Rams. Uh, and uh, over-under set 38, and the Bears are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, Parks, any chance that we could see some Josh Rosen, as we've been asking for? I mean, the way the Cardinals are talking, it's like, no. And, you know, they were saying that they were probably going to move David Johnson around, and they were like, oh, we should probably get David Johnson involved in the passing game. Like, oh, yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, like week three of the NFL season, we're finally figuring this out. But then I I was saying I don't really buy into that because if you can't even figure out that it's, you know, Josh Rosen time, then what the heck are you doing? And, you know, the the obvious – the idea here is you can't – you know, you can't really take the Cardinals. And the spot, obviously, it's similar to how Seattle, the spot was, you know, screaming for Seattle. And I was like, you can't take Seattle. And I was saying, actually, in that spot, I was saying, slam the Bears, slam the Bears on the other way. This this one, I'm just, I got to learn. And I got I got to see what's what this team is because it's a new coach in Matt Nagy. And it's, a, you know, this quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, who I said in the first two weeks kind of hasn't really lived up to expectations in terms of what he is. Um, but like this is a situation where you could put it on a team 
and you could build confidence and you could really, you know, be something. This could also be a situation where, like I said, you're probably going to have to start looking about moving forward and saying, we probably have to sugar wrap or, you know, we have to, uh, whatever it's called, bubble wrap Mitch Trubisky, make sure he doesn't blow games for us because, you know, this defense could really be something. And that, that's really, that's why this game is, I'm staying completely away from it, honestly, or I don't have a feel for it yet because it calls for uh, Chicago to blow him out, you know, especially with the defense of Chicago, you know, poor tackles, Sam Bradford, the check down artist. He's not even checking down to, you know, his best player, David Johnson. Um, Larry Fitzgerald does expose a mismatch. I don't think Bryce Callahan could hang with Larry Fitzgerald in any way. And that's where you're probably going to have to have the money. But, like, how much can you move the ball just consistently with five-yard passes to Larry Fitzgerald, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't think think Arizona can really score enough to hang in this game. But I do think, you know, Mitch Trubisky on a short week, traveling to the road, you know, 0-2 Arizona, it's all on the line. Their head coach, yeah, like their head coach is a defensive coordinator. So, you know, he's watching Mitch Trubisky and he knows what, you know, this guy's pretty limited in his skill set. So, um, you know, but then, you know, the Bears are going to avoid Patrick Peterson. The rest of the defense, there's just not much to, to you know, work with. So, you know, Allen Robinson will have another big game, but I'm really not buying into anybody else in, in this game and are really on this offense. Um, I would like to say take the under, but then there's a, there's is the chance that the Bears really put this thing on them. And, you know, Sam Bradford throws a pick six to start the game and it's 21 to nothing at halftime. I mean, there's the propensity that it just gets away like that. There's also the chance that, you know, the Cardinals show up with this conservative game plan. They hold on to the ball a little bit. Trubisky throws a pick six. You know, it's 10-7 at halftime. And you're just like, oh, my God, why did I take the Bears laying six on the road? Like, that, you know what I mean? I, I'm a, I know all about the Bears. And I'm even saying, like, I don't know if there's a team that, or, like, a spot where you could, at this point, trust Mitchell Trubisky with six points on the road. So it's truly, like I said, there's no sell for Arizona. Other than if Trubisky craps his pants and what is kind of a bad spot for him, um, yeah, that's that's really that's where I'm looking. And it, like I said, if Trubisky plays well, you're starting to think, oh, this Bears team. And especially if the defense plays well, you're starting to get some real thoughts. But yeah, if he craps the bed, you're just wondering, you know, how much can he limit them? What's their ceiling? Things like that. So huge learning game, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not sure everyone watched this one, but I am going to be on the lookout <laughs> yeah. for uh, Khalil Mack just eating, uh, what's his name, Bradford, and they put in Josh Rosen. I'd be really happy about that. Yeah, that's the other thing is that if, if he comes in, it's just an X factor. And I mean, I don't want to say it, but he's probably a better quarterback than Trubisky, at least at this point. Trubisky's it's still about the hype and the upside. But I said Rosen's the most pro-ready of this entire draft class. And he's the one that they're like stalling out on. It's crazy. Give me Rosen. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to a matchup that would have been real appealing about a year or two ago. But now, right. now it's a little bit of a snooze fest as we have the Cowboys rolling up into Seattle. And Seattle is a home favorite, one and a half points. And the overrunner is at 41 and a half. Parks, what do we see happening here? Yeah, I mean, people are starting to talk up Dallas's defense a little bit. I mean, I kind of get it on paper, but it's still – Tough to completely buy into because you look at it, you know, they beat, um, or they didn't even beat Carolina, but they kept Carolina in check. And I said, I don't really buy into Carolina. And they actually, um, in terms of adjusted yard line, actually had a decent game against Dallas's front. And then they played the New York Giants, who, like I said, kind of just crapped all over themselves. So I'm still not really buying into what uh, Dallas can do in this situation. So, um, but, you know, when you look at it, Randy Gregory is supposed to come back. I like Randy Gregory is the Josh Gordon of uh, 
it's just if, if fantasy football mattered for like defensive players people would just be, yeah, people if that like was actually more prevalent people would just be going crazy about like where's randy gregory what are we doing like should i pick him up should i do this like but uh, it just doesn't matter he's but he is like the exact it's the josh gordon thing except you know dallas is kind of hanging on to him and hanging on to him and hoping so i mean they keep saying he's going to come back and he's going to complete this defensive line and all this i don't know I really don't. And that's why it's, you know, I mean, uh, Marcus Lawrence is going to take on a Fetty, but that's, that's going to be just another huge mismatch for them. But uh, yeah, then uh, Jalen Samuel, or not Jalen Samuels, what's his name? Jalen Smith and uh, Sean Lee. I said they looked poor against Tri- Christian McCaffrey, but then they looked pretty good against uh, Saquon. I mean, nobody looks good against Saquon, but overall, in terms of getting guys down in space, they looked a lot more athletic. So you look at, you know, Rashard Penny and Chris Carson tough you know it's tough to really buy into what they could do in this situation but you know then you have to look at it this is kind of this is the Seahawks season there's no doubt about it I don't like the Seahawks too too much but I I definitely don't like Dallas and you know you're kind of coming off a decent spot and you're coming onto the road for this 0-2 Seattle team you know Russell Wilson I talked about he had those frustrations with the offense so you know you're hoping to work some things out with the offense you're hoping that like I said this Dallas defense isn't the hype and it's more that you know Carolina and New York aren't going to be these offenses that we think they are so you know maybe Russell Wilson could make some magic happen um they're getting Bobby Wagner back or they're supposed to get Bobby Wagner back and the big thing is you have Earl Thomas who can play over the top and is really just you know everything in terms of condensing things and I talked about how um I thought New York was really going to dare them to beat them deep and I completely forgot that uh Tavon Austin was there but I mean, we were saying like, do you really expect Tavon to happen twice? Not only that, um, do you really expect Tavon to get Earl Thomas? Like, no, that's not really you know that's not too too much. Or he, even if he shades over to the Earl Thomas side, um, you could probably figure some things out. Or he'll uh, probably shade over to whatever side, whoever their uh, right cornerback is, because Shaquille Griffin, there's just not a threat on Dallas's wide receiver core that could really make you say you know, especially deep. That could make you say, you know, oh, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna stretch this thing out. They're gonna make this an issue, and that's where Bobby Wagner's return could be really impactful in terms of the running game. And I thought, you know, maybe Landon Collins could do it, but um, yeah, Janoris got beat. They kind of stretched him out early. Dallas did, and that kind of took away from you know what I thought New York could do in terms of their defensive game plan. But like I said, in the all or nothing spot, in the spot where Russell Wilson could maybe try and get some things going early, because I'm not buying into Dallas's defense as much. In terms of their defensive front, um, I do think their linebackers are playing well and their corners are playing pretty well. Um, their safeties are – I'm not too, too high on them yet. So I'm kind of learning about that. But, I mean, this game, I don't know, like you said, there's not too much to to really buy into. It is – it's Seattle or nothing, and you're probably looking under because, like I said, D- Dallas has nothing to invest in skill player-wise, even with all of these issues on the Seattle defense. But at the end of the day, I mean – I think Russell kind of, you know, puts up a couple, maybe puts up 17, 20 points, and they try and just sit on it. And maybe, you know, Uncle Will eh, throws up a touchdown, <laughs> yeah. too. <you> know? <laughs> I'm, I've said it, I'm going to say it again. I don't think he's, I think he's going to come back down to earth there. Sean Lee will shut him down. I don't know, man. <laughs> Please stop, stop him from this fantasy relevance. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on to the Sunday nighter as Detroit gets another primetime game. Or you know, as they host the good old Tim Brady New England Patriots, coming off a loss against Jacksonville. And uh, you were saying before, as New England doesn't play exactly the same as they do in the you know four four, four weeks compared to the latter half. But um, 
Uh, we got Maddie Stafford here with an over-under 54, and they're plus six-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, Parks, they, we got Josh Gordon now on the Patriots. What do you see happening here? Yeah, like I said with the Patriots, they're probably going to trip up once or twice in the first couple weeks, but they also respond really well to losses. So that's why you know you kind of have to just be looking at Patriots or pass here, especially – like I said, they you know you're going you're you're trying to go all out against San Francisco. They did kind of fight back and claw back to make that a, a tight game in the fourth quarter, and you know now you got to face New England on prime time. You know, you got to get yourselves up for this game, and you know the fact of the matter is it's um Matt, it's Patricia against Bill Belichick, and you know Ooh. right. And I was saying how I think you know maybe for Frank Reich you know. He, he might have some things up his sleeve that he didn't really show Doug Peterson. I don't think Matt Patricia is going to show uh, Bill Belichick's, you know, really anything that Bill hasn't seen. So that's it's a tough spot for the Detroit Lions, in my opinion, a really tough spot. Um, you know, I said Jimmy Garoppolo saw this defense in practice all the time. Tom Brady saw this defense in practice all the time. And, uh, yeah, he's there's communication issues galore in that back secondary. And Kyle Shanahan, I said he called just such a great game because he was, you know, making them communicate in with the motions he was doing with, you know, he had a receiver in the backfield at some times and he was really, you know, making them question. And, you know, who, what did I say in the preview or the uh, Patriots, you know, season preview podcast that this is exactly what they do. So um, I honestly think that if you're the Patriots, you're kind of playing the ball control game and you're really not trying to show too, too much because it is still that early season. And I think, I think Bill, you know, it's, you know, he's smart and he's smug and everything like that. I think he kind of says, you know, I'm going to let my guy – you know, he's not going to run up the score on his guy. He's going to kind of, you know, control the clock. Um, he'll have some success running the football. Um, he'll have some success over the middle of the field. Like I said, they're going to confuse him. You know, maybe you get up 17 nothing and it's like 27-17. You kind of salt him away. So um, I'm, the, I'm probably teasing the Patriots with something. I haven't figured it out yet, but the move is to tease the Patriots in this game and then just you know figure it out what, what would you tease them with. Um, it's Patriots or pass in terms of the side. And you know in terms of the over-under, I can't do it because like I said, I'm not betting on Bill to run up the score on his old boy. I'm betting on him to kind of control the clock and get Sonny Michelle involved because that would just be huge for this offense and he probably knows that. So, um, you know, Josh Gordon will get involved some, but I think that it'll be more like uh, Sonny Michelle's game last week where, you know, it's five snaps here, five snaps there. Uh, whereas I think now you're kind of saying, let's let's see what we have in Sonny Michelle. And maybe the next week you're really saying what you have in Josh Gordon. So um, get Sonny Michelle involved, control the clock. Um, I honestly think they breeze. I just, I don't think, you know, I would probably look under before I would look over. But then, you know, it's Matty Stafford, and the Patriots' defense is really slow. And uh, really, like, I, I like all the receivers in this spot, honestly. So that's why it's, you know, it's hard to say um, to just slam the under because, you know, if the Patriots need to get into a shootout, they will. But they're not going to blow out the, the Detroit Lions. All right. There you go. Monday night. Let's see if uh, – or Sunday night. Let's see if uh, Matty Stafford doesn't get embarrassed again. Yeah, and put Carry on Johnson in the freaking game. Like, just stop with this Garrett Blunt crap. Carry on my wayward side. <laughs> yeah, they really should. I don't know why. All right, well, let's move on to the final matchup of the week, and this is going to be something <laughs> part. We, we have the 0-1-1 Pittsburgh Steelers rolling down to Tampa, and they're playing none other than Ryan Fitzmagic and himself. They are 2-0 and as the state, of un- the state of Florida is undefeated, and uh, we have the Steelers are minus one road favorites and the over-under is 54 parks i mean this is a must win almost for the lawyers what, what are we gonna do here 
Yeah, I kind of spent this whole week talking myself into it, and I'm going to be on the Steelers. There's there's no doubt I'm actually going to be on the Steelers. So um, I'm going to try and not get like too, too long-winded into how I'm explaining this, but um, this spot is so familiar to me, and I've seen it so many times, and I've won a lot on it with the Steelers. And I was actually trying to go back, and I kind of have most of them in my recollection now from like the first time that I really remember betting on the Steelers was uh, they tie, or they lost to the Titans the first week, they got blown out by the Ravens, and I was all over them. It was like twenty to two thousand thirteen, maybe. Panthers. It was like one of the, what was that? They played the Panthers. I'm going to bring that one up. <laughs> it was the year before they played the Bears on Monday night, okay. and I was all over them, and they got blown out by the Bears. Yeah. And God. yeah, they started that season zero and four, and I, I keep thinking like there's flashbacks of during this season where I'm like, man, it could really be that. You know, it really could be, especially when you start to think of. You know, it was Alshon and Brandon Marshall, and now you have Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans. I'm like, man, it could be that. That was like my first instinct. And then I kept thinking about that game. And it was like you said, uh, because that season, in my opinion, and it, I talk about it all the time, it marked the last 8-8 eight and eight season of Mike Tomlin. And I think, it's, I think nobody talks about it, but it's remarkable to me that you could go from a top five defense to a top five offense, and it takes three seasons of eight and eight football to do it. And I think that's impressive of Tomlin to understand your identity and then commit to it. And how were you able to do that was, it was the emergence of Le'Veon Bell that season. I mean, I'm not getting it in all that, but I mean, you finished that season eight and eight from starting zero uh, and four. And really from that point on, your offense was what it is at this point today. And that's where, like you said, it happened the very next year. They, they beat the Browns on a last-second field goal. Sounds familiar. Um, it wasn't a tie, but they barely beat the Browns. And then they go to the Ravens, and the Ravens beat the crap out of them. And then, yeah, they're at the Panthers, and it's Cam Newton, and they were getting three points, and I was on the Steelers. And it was like 37 to 10. They just yeah. beat the crap out of them, and you know, the Steelers were back. And that was, kind of the, that was kind of the idea, and that's what I was saying, where I, it was like that turning point from, you know, we're not the top five defense, but we are the top five offense. And then, you know, you kind of start to go down the line, and I remember there was uh, – it was Monday Night Football with Michael Vick was starting, and they were catching three and a half, and I was on them. And Le'Veon Bell in the last second won it. And um, there was a couple other ones I'm trying to remember right now. Um, right after Carson Wentz beat them, um, they came right back and beat the Ravens 26-6. to six. Um, It really just beat the crap out of them. And it's really, in my opinion – Right after the Jaguars game last season, Ben Roethlisberger throws five picks. The season's over, and then they go and beat uh, the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. You know, the six and zero. How do you stop them, Kansas City Chiefs? So, like, it happens every single year. It really, actually, does every single year. You look at it, and here we are again. And I'm going to be right back on the Steelers. I'm like five and one on it. You know, in this particular spot, in my opinion, because nobody bounces back like the Steelers. And only the Patriots bounce back like the Steelers. Like I just said, you're looking for the Patriots in the bounce. You're looking for the Patriots, the Saints, like all these teams. Like I said, questions early season, not too worried about it. So, um, yeah, you're looking for the bounce back Steelers. You're looking for the nobody believes in us Steelers. And then you're looking for the Tomlin lost the locker room Steelers. And I, I love that as a gambler. I truly do. And at first, I even said on the first one, I said, man, when AB misses practice, that's an issue. And then Marquise Pouncey talked. And I always say – that there's two guys on the team that when they talk, you listen to, and it's not Ben Roethlisberger. I'm sorry. Ben is like, he's passive aggressive. He's not the leader in the locker room. And Ben will tell you that Marquise Pouncey is the leader of the locker room. And Cameron Hayward is the leader of the locker room. When those two talk, you listen. And you know, when, um, when it was Martavis or not who, yeah, when it was Martavis Bryant, Marquise Pouncey said something. When it was uh, James Harrison, Marquise Pouncey said something. When it was Le'Veon Bell, Marquise Pouncey says something. And it always provides bad optics for the Steelers because it's like, 
well, who is Marquise Pouncey to say something? He wore a free Hernandez hat. And it's like, yeah, like, like Marquise <laughs> Pouncey is not like he, but in that locker room, he's their leader. Like, I'm sorry that he is. And like, they see it. Like I, I always say football is so much different than your typical office job. And they, I don't know if like they see it specifically like this, but like Pouncey is a stand by my brother type of person. And you know, whether or not Hernandez, whatever, that's his brother. And like, that's loyalty. And people identify with that. And people identify with a guy like Marquise Pouncey. And he like, he came out and was like, what is this like lost the locker room crap? Like you guys are so crazy. And you know, he said, he said, AB had a personal manner. He talked to me about it. He talked to the team about it. We don't care. Like he said with Le'Veon Bell, I care. I'm pissed. He said with Antonio Brown, this dude is 100% football. Like I'm just, I truly don't believe any of this locker room stuff. I don't believe any of it at all. Um, you know, the, the Bleacher Report article, an NFC South assistant coach was, you know, making a statement saying that the Tomlin lost control. What the hell does an NFC South assistant coach know about Mike Tomlin's <laughs> locker room? They play an NFC South team once every four seasons. There's no like that guy has to do a better job at his job before he's commenting on Mike Tomlin's job. I mean, he ha- he can have his opinion, that, and that's job, fine. Man. And like his opinion is just as good as mine, but. Like, that's not good enough to put on Bleacher Report. Yours is better. Come on, let's be honest. (laughs) I mean, like, when it comes to, like, you can't publish that dude on Bleacher Report and call that good and honest reporting. That's clickbait. That's hot take stuff. Like, I'm not into that. Like, I truly believe that uh, this locker room always rallies around Mike Tomlin. Um, Every time Terry Bradshaw calls him a cheerleader, they go out and they beat the crap out of whatever team they're playing. So um, that's really where I'm investing into it. And you look at the matchups, and it's kind of scary. There's no doubt about it. because Mike Evans, because Deshaun Jackson, two straight weeks starts the game on a seventy-yard touchdown, and I said, you know, it was Marcus. Try and Williams. stop that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, here's the issue: is that both times were communication breakdowns, and you know, who has communication breakdowns? Uh, Sean Davis, for sure. So this is this is a huge game for Sean Davis. This is a huge game for Terrell Edmonds, for Morgan Burnett, for everybody, really. But I think the idea with this game is. You can sell out on one thing and you can make the Bucks one-dimensional. And listen, their one dimension is tough as hell to stop, for sure. It has been so far this season. But they can't run the football. There's no doubt about it. They can't run it. So you have to shut down that run immediately. And it starts with Cameron Hayward, who, like I said, is this emotional leader. And I said um, on the Steelers preview podcast that he even specifically pointed out that he needs to get better in run defense. How do you do that? You put You sell out on the back end. And you have to have Cameron Hayward and Stefan Tua and Javon Hargrave handle the running game. They have to do it. And um, Vince Williams and John Bostic, really, really strong in the running game. So you shut out the running game. You sell out on the passing. Um, and that's really what you have to do. You just have to sell out on the back end and on communicating. And you know, hopefully because you're able to get that pressure up front with a guy like Cameron Hayward, you're able to play your dollar defense which is putting um, six def- or seven defensive backs on the field. And you're able to really kind of work with that. And that matches up with the speed a little bit better. A guy like OJ Howard kind of have four safeties. Um, and you have two guys that are going to be your middle linebackers are pretty much going to be Morgan Burnett and Cameron Sutton. And those two guys are communicators. And those two guys are smarter than your average player. So they could be able to kind of sub some things up in terms of communication. You're getting Joe Hayden back. And um, when you look at this offense, I said that I thought Mike Tomlin had that alpha dog mentality against the Chiefs of you can't come in here and outscore us, but it's not the same situation. You know, it's kind of on the road, kind of playing for your lives. Um, ben Roethlisberger, he has that road thing, but he's better in prime time on the road than he typically than he is um, on the road. You know what I mean? So he's actually pretty good in this spot. 
And I think what you have to do is what I've been saying. First, you got to get back to running the football. And the idea is if you can run the football and you can stop the run, you always win in the NFL. Like I know we're moving into this passing league, but if you can run the football and you can stop the run, you can figure it out. And it's clear that you know the matchup dictates the Steelers to run the football and to stop the run. And what does that do in running the football? Same idea as Kyle Shanahan. You're taking the Bucks' offense off the field. You're controlling the clock. Um, the other big issue is the Buccaneers' secondary um, it's really not good uh, at this point. I know it's young, and I know there's a lot of upside. In um, Carl, I talk about it every episode. Carlton Davis, Ryan Smith, and MJ Stewart, the rookie in the slot. So here's what you do, in my opinion, is MJ Stewart is like 5'9". Juju Smith-Schuster is a physical presence. You put him on uh, Juju in the slot, and Juju kind of just works the middle of the field like he has been doing. I mean, Juju's just been unbelievable this season. That's been buried you know, throughout whatever's going on in the Steelers. But you use that to open up the deep passing to a guy like Antonio Brown, and you're using the running game. A.B. Yeah, I mean, A.B. has to have a bounce back game in this or else, you know, he's, I don't know, he's, he's in trouble in terms of optics. But I really do. I think, you know, the matchup dictates that they should run the ball. They should get Juju the football early. They should control the clock, and that should set up A.B. late into this game to kind of, um, you know, potentially put this team away. You look at it. It was minus six. Um, this summer, it was minus four before Pat Mahomes came in and, you know, everything changed. So, you know, the Steelers, I don't know, it's it's tough to say that Fitzpatrick just overnight, and I know that Todd Munkin, and I know that, you know, Chris Godwin is just such a lethal piece in the middle because he just makes everything else just, you know, exfoliated or extrapolated. But at the end of the day, I really do think that um, the Steelers can stop the run, they can run the football, they can control the clock. And I said, I don't think... Uh, there's a better team in the NFL or the Patriots are the only better team than the nobody believes in us Steelers. And like I said, the only time I remember them losing in this spot was, you know, when it was kind of the sign of things to change. So, you know, if they lose, maybe it is that kind of, it's that sign, but um, they've, it's like five or six straight years that they've won in this spot. And so I'm going to be on it again. And I would be looking to the under, because like I said, I think the Steelers, they have to control the clock. They, I think they understand now that, you know, their defense might be good enough at one point. But it's not now in terms of you know communication. Sean Davis, Morgan Burnett, uh, Terrell Edmonds—they're all in new positions. You know they got to make things a lot easier right now, and then try and figure things out later. So um, yeah, control the clock in this game and walk out a winner. We'll see. And we shall see. But you do like the Steelers, and that will most likely be a pick. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be on the Steelers. All right, there you go. Put a nice little sound effect. There's two sound effects I put in. Let me know which one you like better. Sweet. <laughs> all right. Well, that about wraps up for uh, week three here the preview um we do have a uh, game tonight um any quick thoughts on it? i mean it could be a historic night park i mean the browns could get their first one yeah and i said on the you know uh, recap that it was browns or pass for me i still haven't done it but I'm, I'm more confident on the browns than i was even earlier in the week so you know maybe for fun or if you know if you want to get a little something down I'd, i'm looking for the browns here yeah maybe pop some pop some bud light Oh, we're popping some Bud Light tonight. I, I'm kind of rooting for the Browns. I don't know why. I just I'm kind of am. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, about does it. Um, any uh, last words here, Parks? No, yeah. I, I think we're like on this like, it's like an hour 15. We were uh, trying to do like 50 minutes, but yeah. it seems like we're consistently hitting that mark. So whatever. We're doing a good job on like the exact time. It's definitely going long. Uh, give us some feedback, you know, if we're going a little long. We, we're providing great content for the record. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, you are. I'm just here being a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. But yeah, follow the Twitter because we'll have more picks there, and we'll be locking some in in there soon. Yeah, so we'll probably come out with those, what, Friday, tomorrow, or Saturday? Yeah, probably tomorrow. tomorrow they'll be up. All right.
There you go. So until next time, guys. Bye. <laughs>